We're starting a brand new series today, and I'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes, but before I do that, hey, let me give you an update. A few weeks ago, I told you that we, um, we had found out the land next door to us had become available. It was on foreclosure, and, um, and that it was available at a steal of a price compared to what the land was appraised at. And I challenged you guys to help us step into that, uh, we, that we were going to try to make an offer on the land, uh, which would double our campus size and give us right at 30 acres here instead of just our little 14.8 that we have. And, um, and many of you uh, grabbed that little card inside your, I guess it's inside you know, the chair that's there, and many of you said, hey, we can help or we'll pledge this over the next 30 to 60 days. That Monday after I shared that with you, we put an offer in. And that very same day, another person put an offer in as well. And you know how that's how that happens sometimes, right? Um, another p- person put an offer in at the same time. And so we went ahead and, and trumped their offer. And we're under contract for that new piece of land. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I just want to say thank you to so many of you. I, yeah, I'll tell you, uh, we, Harvest Point, uh, I, will, I will just continue to celebrate God's goodness in this place and how he shows himself strong in the generosity of our people. And, um, you know, our leaders stepped into their, their, the invite that I gave to them and I challenged them with, and they, they uh, committed to pledge over just 30 to 60 days more than $22,000. Uh, then you guys did, did as well. Beyond, uh, you know, I think it was something like uh, fifteen or 16000 that we as a congregation uh, did. So I just want to tell you, there's, there's more due diligence that we've got to do, but everything's looking right and good. And we believe that's going to bless our church for decades to come. So, so hallelujah and thanks be to God. By the way, when we prayer walked this land, we bought this land in 2005 right here. Now, we didn't build till last year here because of a fallen economy. We bought this land in 2005. And if you were here and you prayer walked this land, when we prayer walked it, we said, if, if God wants us to buy this one, we feel like we need that one over there. And so we kind of claimed that land for the future, if you remember that, right? We just had no idea it would come available in the first year after we moved that it would become available. So um, I just want to say praise God. And I wanna, I, you'll, you'll see another updated. If you're in our email list, uh, you'll see an updated email. If you're not, go to our website, subscribe into our email newsletter, and you'll be getting all of our electronic stuff that comes into your inbox, Okay. We're going to be renovating the student lodge, and we're going to be buying that new land. And we still have a little bit more of a need, so if you, want to, if you, if you missed out on that chance to help us by either giving a gift or giving a pledge, those envelopes are sitting right in those little chairs where you can help us out towards that end. We're going to start a brand new series today. And um, the series is, uh, is, a, is called, God, Who Do You Think You Are? Hey, can I have a couple people help me? Chris, can you help me? And Oscar? Can you help me with that cheering table? Now, when, I, when we first came up with this series, um, we have a whole team of people who help me um, try to hear from the Lord on what He wants us to be doing during different series and different portions of the year. When we first came up with this title, it, it almost sounds a little sacrilegious, doesn't it? God, who do you think you are? But the truth of the matter is that God does, He knows who He is, right? And in the Word of God, He all the time is trying to open up our mind to His bigness. We have a tendency, if we're really honest, to put God in a little box and think God's only this big. And what God does time and time again is He expands that box and He says, I'm bigger than that. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to study 
who God is, and we're going to study the names of God. Now, there are more than a hundred names of God. Can you imagine how many weeks that would take us to read all of those, right? And for me to preach through all of those. I'm going to journey through five that I, that I want you to know more about. And um, if you have that outline in front of you, um, I just want to invite you to get your pen, maybe get your Bible or get your phone out or get your iPad out, your Android device. We're going to be reading scripture together. We're going to be studying um, a specific name of God. But before I begin that, let me also uh, draw attention to inside your worship guide. Did you find that little bookmark? I don't have one with me. That's okay. Did you get that little book bookmark? Hold it up, if you will. This little bookmark, um, every one of the five names that I'm going to preach through are actually listed on that bookmark. We wanted to give that to you so that maybe you would even be prompted to look beyond just the names that we'll be studying together. Um, I, was, I was in my morning devotional this morning, and I have an app on my phone. I have that version app on my phone, and I opened up uh, my phone, and it had alerted me that there was a 30-day study on the names of God. I thought, what? I'm launching a new series on that today. And so we would, I, would, I would, you know, come on Sundays, explore these five names with me, and then maybe even go deeper in your own private time. You know, your 15 minutes of chair in a Bible, and you look into more of these names of God. Now, Stephen, why are the names of God even important? Well, I want to talk about that for a minute, but first of all, I want to tell you how I discovered personally that the names of God were important. In 1992, um, I was, I'm about to date myself, okay, forgive me. In 1992, I graduated my, with my undergrad. I, I finished college, okay? And I, oh, you're, you're a baby. Some of you guys are going, he is old. <laughs> In 1992, I graduated college, and I took my first ministry position um, at, a, at a large, large church here in the Atlanta area. And I don't remember what prompted it. I don't know the situation. I don't think it was a sermon or a series that my, my pastor was going through. I just remember in my own private study time, I got onto the names of God. And I began to study the names of God. And I'll tell you why that's important in just a minute. But can I tell you that in my own private study back in 92, it was so impactful that it revolutionized the way I prayed. It revolutionized the way I prayed for others and the way I prayed for myself. It revolutionized even the way when I move into a situation in life or in my own life or if I'm with somebody in a situation in their life, immediately those names that I learned of God come back to me. The names of God that he gives to us are not just trivial, they are really powerful because they open us up to an understanding of who God is. If you have your pen, you see that, um, let's read that first scripture together and then I'm going to get you to fill in the blank. The Bible says in Psalm 8:1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist said, the, the greatest name in all the earth is your name, O Lord, right? So how important is it that we know God's name? Well, write, your, write this down, if you will, a few reasons why we, we need to know the names of God. And the first one is this, names have significance. Names have significance. When my wife and I were, were thinking about what we're going to name our children, and I bet I'm not alone here, we went out and bought the 1001 baby names. You know what I'm talking about, that little book? Any of you ever done that? You had that book, right? Yeah. We weren't just going to name our child and, and not know that, you know, we named him something and it means, you know, mud pig. You know, we were, we were going to name our child something that mattered, you know. And so we went through and we found out what Abigail meant, what Andrew meant. We went through and names mean something, right? 
If I said, for example, the name Jerusalem, it's not just the name of a city. It actually means something, right? Yeru Shalom. It means city of peace. Isn't that interesting? That the most fought over acreage on the whole planet is actually called Yeru Shalom, city of peace. Or maybe you've heard Philadelphia, right? The name of a city. We know that name means city of, what is it? Brotherly love, even though it doesn't always act like that, right? It's supposed to be the city of brotherly love. So names have significance. They mean something. Write this one down, if you will. Names have substance. There's something to them. They're weighty, okay? So if I said of somebody, hey, I want you to meet my friend. You've never met him before. His name's Slim. What would you think about my friend right out of the gate? Yeah, he's a little skinny guy, wouldn't you? And then it, uh, vice versa, if I said, hey, I've got a friend I want you to meet, his name's Chubbs. You know what he was, right? <gasps> oh, he let y'all call him Chubbs? Okay. Or what if I said, hey, I, I've got a, my best friend's name is Red. What would you assume about him? You got red hair, right? See, names communicate something. And names often have, they're weighty because they have a substance to them. So not only are names significant, they mean things. But they have substance, they're weighty, and they, they communicate certain things. But here's another one, write this one. Names are a gateway, all right? This is so important. In 1992, I figured out that the names of God were a gateway for me. And Stephen, what do you mean by a gateway? Let me tell you, it was about that same time that I met this pretty lady on the second row here. In 1992, I met her, and I, I came to minister at this church, and there was this you know, this brunette there, she was involved in the youth group. I had made this deal with God that I wasn't going to date anybody. And all of a sudden I said, Lord, are you sure? I mean, I need to go back on that, you know, but here's the deal. Before I could get involved with her, before I could get her to even go on a date with her, the first thing I had to do was say, what? What's your name? (laughs) Yeah, just picture the guy, picture the guy walking up to the girl and saying, hey, what's your name? All right. See, the name becomes the gateway to how I get to know that person, right? Now, that make I have to know her name, and then all of a sudden, if I can get beyond that, I can move. I can go somewhere, right? Can I tell you something about, that I know about you? Here's what I know about you. There is not a significant person in your life that is not very familiar with your name. I want you to think about that for a minute. There is not a significant person in your world that doesn't know your name. See, names are the way they become a gateway to relationship. That's the power of names. Now, here's the question that I've got in your outline there. Why so many names? Why did God give us so many names in the Bible? There's more than 100 names. And here's the answer. But there's a few answers. Let me give you a few. And by the way, you'll notice there's no fill in the blanks on these, in this series. I don't give you points. I just put a note section over there on the right-hand side. So if I say something that is new to you, maybe you jot it down. Or maybe if God whispers something over you that I didn't even say, that'd be the real important thing to jot down, okay? In that little note section, just write down some good stuff. Here's the, here's the answer to the question. Why so many names of God? Well, first of all, one name won't do God justice, okay? So God just wasn't going to give himself one name, and that would be all that, that there was to God. He's bigger than that. One name can't hold him, okay? But here's the other piece, that in order, all these different names, they give us different perspectives of God. Every time you see a different name of God, every time you learn a different name of God, it's almost like turning a diamond and having a new prism of light shoot out from that diamond. Every different name of God 
gives us a different perspective of his character, of his nature. And so there, God, God gave us more than 100 names of himself because he wanted us to know him better. Gateway, right? He wanted us to know him relationally. Now, here's what I want you to know. In, in theology school, when I was in grad school at Emory, I learned this German word. I, I only learned a few, so I can remember them. And, and the German word was Sitzenleben. All right? Sitzenleben is a simple German word that means situation in life. Sitzenleben, okay? And what they would, here's why, here's why that German word was important. God, when he gives a name, when he gives one of his names, it is always in relation to a Sitzenleben, a situation in life. So every moment in the Bible, somebody's going through something. Some people might be in war. Some people might be in famine. Some people might be, have, have experienced death. Some of them might be far away from God, or some might be close to God. In every one of those sits in Labans, in every one of those situations in life, God, in that moment, will give a name for himself. And he will say, hey, listen, this is the name that I want you to know of me for this situation in life that you're in. Now, why is that important, Stephen? Here's what I want to tell you. Every situation that you get into in life, well, there would be a name of God that will minister to that. If you knew the names of God and you knew what they meant, every situation in life, Stephen, I'm going through a divorce. There's a, situ- there's a name of God for that sits in Laban. There's a name of God that will minister to you there. Do you know the names of God? Because, by the way, have you figured this out? It's very hard to use a name that you don't know. Did you get that? It's very hard to use a name that you don't know. So it's so important that you know the names of God because you're going to be going through a lot of sits and labans, a lot of situations in life. And you need to know the names of God that apply to those situations in life. This morning, we're going to read the name Jehovah Shalom, okay? And that means simply this, the Lord is peace. We're gonna, and, and God communicates this. This isn't something some human came up with. This is God communicates his name. I am Jehovah Shalom. I, the Lord is peace. And you're going to need that at certain situations in your life. So that's the name we're going to dive into this morning. And before I just go fully onto that, let me tell you how important this is. Over and over again, guys in the Bible, people who really knew and were walking closely with God, they used the name of God to see victory or triumph or to see God's healing or deliverance in their life. Do you remember, for example, David? Remember little David, shepherd boy, running out there to go fight this nine-foot-tall giant? Remember him? And, and, the, and remember what remember the giant said to David? He said, he looked beyond David, and he said, what am I, like a dog? You see me this little, little kid here, you know? You remember that? And then he looks at David, and he says, listen, boy, He's, now, listen to the threat, right? He says, listen, boy, today I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. Today you'll be gone. I'm going to wipe you out. And if you remember what David said, David said, you come at me with your javelin, your spear, and your sword, but I come to you in the name of my God. David came to him in a place of battle with the name. He said, I come to you not with my spear slingshot, you know, not, be, not with my athletic prowess. I come to you in the name of the Lord, my God. He came into that battle under the name of God. The names of God are important. And today we're going to discuss Jehovah 
Shalom, okay? If you get your Bibles, you might want to turn to Judges chapter 6, because that's where God gives us his name, okay? Judges chapter 6, and the name is specifically in verse 24, but we're not going to get there yet, okay? Judges chapter 6. Shalom. What does shalom mean, by the way? Say it out loud. Peace. Now, before we talk about peace, can we just talk for a minute about something that's opposite of peace? I'll call it turmoil, okay? Turmoil is that place of of chaos. Turmoil is that place of hardship and division and, and war, okay? That's what chaos is. That's what turmoil is. And I want to just grasp with you before we even study the scripture that our world is filled with turmoil. Would you agree? I mean, right now, if you turn on your TV, you'll see, you'll, you'll see uh, hear news about terrorists, right? Turmoil. You'll, you'll, you'll see the crime rate rising. Turmoil. You just watch the local news and you'll realize that we're filled with a world that, that's at turmoil. And, and there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of division. I mean, think about this. Even churches fight. I mean, what is that about, right? I mean, there's even turmoil and conflict in the church sometimes, right? Now, that's in the world. But let's, let's leave the world for a minute, and let's just come to our homes for a minute. Because sometimes there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of turmoil even in our homes. I mean, the divorce rate and how it's rising will tell you that. I mean, there are people who are fighting. There are people who are fussing. There are people who are using profanity. There's all kind of arguments. Many times there's abuse. And even in our homes, we can have a lot of chaos and turmoil. But let's even pull down closer than that for a minute. What is the worst turmoil of all? Well, that would be the turmoil of the human heart. That would be when you can't live with you, okay? That would be when you have inner turmoil and inner struggle. When you're struggling even with yourself to know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be living, when you're just not happy with who you are, there's even that that goes on inside of us. Turmoil. Turmoil reigns and rules the day in so many situations. Now, I want to pick up with you here in Judges chapter 6 because we, we find a situation that is in Judges chapter 6 not too different than the world we live in today. And, and here's, here's where we find them. Most of us, we just long for a little bit of peace, right? We just want some peace in our world, right? In their world, Judges chapter 6, the Israelites, had, they were in a place of deep conflict. They were in a place of deep turmoil. They were in a bad, bad place, okay? Now, before I read Judges chapter 6, verse 1, I just want to real quickly say, give you a scope of Judges. And, and I forgot to tell my technology guys to do something for me. So I'm just going to have to maybe get you to draw it on your outline. And, and they're fast. They might even create it. Um, Judges is a book that takes place right after the book of Joshua. You remember who Joshua was, right? So let's get a context for this. Right before Judges, the book happens, Joshua is there. Remember Joshua took over from Moses? And when Joshua took over from Moses, the people had been delivered from Egypt. They were out in the the wilderness, and Joshua moved them into the promised land, right? He moved them into Canaan land. They'd been promised an inheritance, and in the book of Joshua, which is right before Judges, we get them moving into that land, conquering this land, living in this land that had been promised to them. So the cool thing is, 
The people of God have been delivered, and now they're living in the promised land. In the book of Judges, they're living in the promised land. But here's the problem. They're in the promised land, but there's turmoil. They're in the place that God called them to be, but there's chaos. They're in the place where they knew was their inheritance and their promised place, but they're not winning. They're getting beat up, okay? And we're going to read their story in just a second. And in the book of Judges, we see this, it's cyclical. Here's what happens over and over again. It's cyclical, and you're going to see this cycle played out in the chapter we're going to read today. What happens is, and the way I would draw it if I could, is I would put, the, put a word on the right side that says the word sin. Okay, just on your outline, just draw, find your little, there's not much blank space, just find your little place. On the right-hand side of the screen, I'd write the word sin. When the people get in sin, there's going to be chaos, okay? And we're going to see how they were in sin, and chaos and turmoil ensued. Now, what happens after that, we're going to just draw a big circle here. On the very bottom here, I, I would get the word punishment. I'd write the word punishment. God cannot tolerate sin, and he loves his children too much. He is too good of a father to let his children go down the wrong path and not say, no, no, I will not allow you to do that. That's not who I created you to be. So God will bring punishment into our world, into their world, when there is sin, okay? So there is sin, and then there's punishment. And then after that, on the far left-hand side of the screen, I, I would have written the word repentance. The people come to a place of repentance, they come to a place of crying out, of saying, I'm sorry, God, we've done the wrong things. We've, done, we've, we've, we've not done what you told us to do. And there's a place of true, heartfelt repentance, okay? And then the very top of that circle, I'd write the word, it's, this is the cycle, okay? I'd write the word deliverance at the very top. What God does is God comes and delivers them in their moment of great need, okay? And then we go right back through that cycle again. This happens so many times in the Old Testament. You get sin, and then that, that results in punishment, that then results in true repentance, that then comes full circle with God's deliverance, and then the people go right back to it. And see, what happens is, over and over again, when they're moving through these circles, God will raise up a person. Today, we're going to meet this guy named Gideon. But God will raise up a person, and that person will be instrumental in their deliverance, okay, in that top portion of that circle that you wrote. And these are the people we call the judges, okay? God. By the way, have you ever realized this? Most of the time when God ministers to you, he does it through people. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, God can do anything he wants to, and sometimes he can just do things without people, but most of the time God chooses to use people, people to communicate to you, people to love on you, people to minister to you. That's the way God works, and that's what God's going to do today. In, Ju in Judges chapter 6, the people are going through this cycle, all right? They're in sin. They're going to get punished. We're going to see their punishment even in verse 2, and then they're going to repent, and then we're going to see the deliverance of God. Let's dive into it together, okay? Verse 1. Verse 1, Judges chapter 6, it says this, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There it is. There's the first rung, right? They were sinning. We'll find out how they were sinning in a minute, but they were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, you might want to underline that, for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, let me pause right there for a minute. So the people are in the promised land, but their enemies for seven years are defeating them. And now, now this is interesting. They're in the place that God wants them to be, and they're losing. Now, what's the takeaway there real quick? You can be in the very place God wants you to be, and you can be experiencing defeat in that very place that God wants you to be. I'll say it differently. 
You can be in the very place that God wants you to be, but you can be out of the will of God. You're in the right place, but you're out of the will of God because you're not following him. You're in the right geographical zone, but you're out of his will. And that's where they are. They're in the promised land, but they're, they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what's going to happen to them? They're going to experience punishment, right? And what's the punishment? For seven years, the Midianites are eating their lunch, all right? Now, this Midianite group, you, you, if you did a greater study, you'll find out there's not as many of them as there are the Israelites. But they team up with these other people, and they come, and they, they defeat the Israelites over and over again. And by the way, it's not because the Midianites are doing it. You've got you to face it. God is allowing this to happen, okay? Oh, Stephen, I don't want to think about God like that. You know, let me tell you, this is how God works. We're going to see it. God will allow things to happen when you move out of his will because he's a good heavenly father and he wants to bring you back into his will, okay? So the Midianites, they're being, they're being defeated and God is saying, listen, I'm, I, you, you, you must turn your heart back to me. They're losing where they should be winning. They're experiencing defeat where they should be, they should be experiencing victory. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, and they camped on the land, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. That's the image, okay? Like swarms, it's just so many you can't even count. Swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. And they invaded the land to ravage it. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that these people that God's put in the promised land, God's children, they're being absolutely dominated. I mean, think about the hearts. This is bad. They're spending time planting and their heart, they're getting ready to experience a harvest and and then all of a sudden, the enemy comes in and takes everything they've done. They, the enemy comes in and takes all of their good work that they have done. Now, are you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced that? I mean, you felt like the enemy was coming in, taking something that was yours? This is where they're at. They work. They're, they're living even in the little clefts because they're so afraid. And for seven years, this enemy dominates over them, the enemy taking what was theirs and, and let's read it in verse 7. So watch what happens. When the Israelites, it takes them seven years, by the way, but in verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, I'm sorry, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, and before I get to the prophet, can I pause there for a minute? No, let's read it all the way. Who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. You see what happened? Watch this. Here we go. Remember the, remember the circle? There's sin, right? And then what happens? The people are suffering defeat. There's punishment. For seven years, their, their lunch is getting eaten. And then what comes out of that is this moment of repentance. The Bible says it this way. The Israelites finally cried out. I want you to think about that for a minute. <laughs> what would that have sounded like? 
You ever been to a place where you cried out before God? I mean, you really cried out. I mean, it wasn't like when you prayed, it wasn't safe, it wasn't sanitary. It was, God, I need you right now. God, I am sorry. God, here I am. Come. Have you ever been to that place before where you cried out? Guys, the Bible said they cried out. And what does God do? God sends a prophet their way who is unnamed. We never will even learn his name. We don't even know who he is. But what he says is very important. He says God's word. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites. He, over and over again, the reason I said those eyes is he's basically saying, listen, I did this. I did this. I brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you in this land. Look at what I've done. But now you've gotten here. And what are, what are you doing? Now, just give you a little bit of background. Here's what they had done. They hadn't forgotten about God. They still worship God. But what they had done was they had done God plus, okay? They had added some gods. They came into the new culture, and they saw all these other people, these Amorites, these Malachites, all their different gods. They added all these other gods into what they were doing. They were calling it, it wasn't God light anymore, you know, it was God plus, you know. And they added all these other gods that had been all these other cultures, they added them into theirs. And what does God come? He sends a prophet and says, no, 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 no. It was me. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who crossed you across the desert. I'm the one who led you into this land. I did that. It wasn't by your hand. It wasn't by those other God's hands. It was me. Let me tell you, sometimes God will bring you so low, so low, so that you stop trusting in other things, you stop even trusting in yourself, and you say, God, there's only one person who's going to get me out of the ditch, and it's you, okay? And this is their place. They've gotten that low, okay? This is their place. And they cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet of deliverance, and they get the message. So read it with me. It says in verse 11, now this is where we pick up the, uh, the angel of the Lord. We're about to see how God has, plans the deliverance after they're crying out in their repentance. The angel of the Lord came... And sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's just pause there for a minute. There's a guy named Gideon, and God is planning his deliverance mode, okay? The people have cried out, and they've said, I'm sorry, God. They're asking God for deliverance. They've repented. He reminded them through a prophet, but just after he reminds them of who he is, he sends, he comes, and he sends one of his angels. And that angel sits there just away, just off from where this name, guy named Gideon is. Now, Gideon... Remember, he's, uh, he, he's, he's got a dad, he's got a whole family. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is he doing that? Because it's a little bit of shelter, it's a little bit of security, and it's a little bit of hiding, all right? The walls of the wine press would have kept him out of sight. So he's threshing his wheat. He's hiding, okay? He's threshing his wheat in a wine press because it's more of a safe place, and it's more out of view, and if, if the Midianites can see him or they can come after him, they might not steal what he's got. He's just trying to, he's hiding. And the angel comes down, and he, he says to Gideon, he says, uh, what, what are those words? He says, uh, you, what is it? The Lord is with you. The Lord is, that's important, by the way. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon doesn't know how God's going to do anything yet, but he hears that phrase. 
This is interesting, by the way, because Gideon, Gideon hadn't done nothing yet, all right? He's not a mighty warrior. He hadn't beaten up anybody yet. He's not a battle warrior guy. He's, he's just like everybody else. He's hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat. He's just like everybody else. But the angel comes and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <coughs> Excuse me. The good news here, you are who God claims you are. You are who God says you are, no matter what your circumstance is, okay? That's important because his circumstance has not changed. But God comes to him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. You are a mighty warrior. God knows what he's going to do already. And Gideon's sitting back there going, hello, what? Me? Listen, you are who God says you are, despite your circumstances. His circumstances are not going to change. But who he understands himself to be will change. So watch what Gideon says. He says the same thing you'd say, by the way. You know, he, he asked what in the world that means. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, remember the, the angel said the Lord is with you. He says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You'd be asking that same thing, right? If the enemy had been stealing your lunch for seven years, taking all your hard work, wouldn't you be saying, I mean, seriously, God's with me? I don't feel like God's with me right now. So, so read it. He says, if the, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, listen, now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Those are just questions that I think you and I would naturally be asking, right? We'd be asking those questions. Uh, by the way, the Lord is with you. Have you ever thought about the fact that in some ways, generally speaking, the Lord is always with you? you ever thought about that? I mean, if, if, you have, if you're a child of God, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've been adopted into the family of God, in a very general sense, the Lord is always with you, Right? But have you ever noticed that in our moments of greatest need, when life is sucking down the tube and things are going really bad, that you're not looking for a general sense of God? Have you ever noticed that before? Have you ever come to church before hoping that God was going to meet you and give you a message that wasn't for all the rest of those people, but was just for you, that was very specifically for you? You ever been to that place before? See, I think that's where Gideon is. Gideon, said, the angel says, the Lord is with you. Mighty warrior and, and what, warrior. and watch what Gideon says. Gideon says, for real? I mean, it don't feel like it. I mean, that's a very general sense. The Lord is, I know the Lord is with me. But why, why are the Midianites having complete domination over us? He's looking for a specific word. He wants a specific word about, okay, if God is with me, show me how he is with me. So listen, here, here it is. In the general sense, if you're a child of God, God is always with you. But in a specific sense, if you need to know a specific sense of God, here's what you need to know. God is only specifically with you when you're with him. And the Israelites had walked away from him. Did you hear that? I'll say that one more time. God is only specifically with you when you're with him. And so it's very important that you get back with him if you've left him, if you've walked away from him, that you get back with him. And so what does... What does the answer look like to, to, Josh, I mean, to Gideon's reply? I mean, Gideon's question. The angel's reply says this. The Lord turned to him and said, 
go in the strength you have, that is the strength that I'm giving you, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This is a very specific moment, right? I mean, he, the, the angel is looking eyeball to eyeball. Be like me looking at Jeff right now. And the angel looking at him and saying, go with the strength that I've given you. Go and save Israel. I mean, this is big. Go and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Can you imagine what Gideon felt with that specific call? Am I not sending you? Wow. See, God's going to use a person to bring deliverance. That's what God often does. And now Gideon is going to be struggling with the same thing that Jeff would be struggling with, all right? He's going to say, are you sure, me? I mean, really, me? You're going to save all of Israel, me? I mean, I don't feel very powerful, but are you sure about this? So watch what happens. Gideon's response. Gideon's response was, pardon me, my Lord. You see that? Pardon me, my Lord. That's this is to say, excuse me? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Basically, he says it this way. Watch this. He says, what? I'm me? I don't mean to be disrespectful, but do you know who I am? I'm from like little backwoods Jackson, Georgia over here. Are you sure? You know, do you know? I mean, not only am I from a little old dusty town, dirty, you know, a little small town, but not only that, listen, my family's a little poor family. My family's a little small family. And not only that, I'm the youngest one in the whole family. Are you sure? Are you really sure? See, there are these moments sometimes where God speaks to you and he calls you and you need to know, know that it's God, not that pizza you ate last night. Are you with me? Right? And you're going, is this me or is this what? what was it? Is that you, God, really saying that? I'm not alone there, right? Have you ever, you ever felt like God spoke to you and said, I want to know this is you, God, not me, right? And that's Gideon right now. He's saying, is this really you? Is this you? Are, are you sure? Now watch what the angel says. The angel says, the Lord answer, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. That's the promise, right? And then look at verse 17. Gideon replied. He's want to make sure one more time. I just got to make sure this is you. Okay, God, got to make sure. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. That it, that it really is you talking to me. So please do not go away until I come back. Watch this. He's going to go get an offering. Please don't go away until I come back and I bring an offering and I set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside. He prepared a young goat. And from an ephah of flour, he, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. And then he brought them out and he offered them under the oak. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and then pour out the broth. He's looking for a sign, isn't he? Is this you, God? Watch what happens. And Gideon did so. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat. There's no fire yet. He touched the meat and the bread, and the angel and, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. <laughs> I want you to just imagine it for a minute, okay? Okay, I think you're calling me to save Israel. I think. And I think that you just said that you're going to go with me 
and we're going to defeat them, and not one of them is going to be alive, and we're going to be over this thing of them eating our lunch. I think that's what you're saying. But I still want to make sure. So can I go get an offering, and I'm going to bring it back. And, and I just I want to do that. And so he goes and gets an offering. He brings it back to the rock, right? Puts it on a rock. He puts the stuff out there like the angel tells him to do. He pours the broth over it. He steps back, and the angel has a staff, evidently. I don't even know what this looks like, right? The angel has a staff, and he touches the rock, and fire bursts out of like nowhere, right? Consumes it. The angel pulls the staff back. The stuff's gone. And the angel, gone. And Gideon says, yep. That's you. Okay. What's next then, right? I mean, can you imagine this moment, guys? I love the Old Testament. It gives us such a great picture. We're not even to the name of God yet, are we? (laughs) So Gideon understands now that God's calling him to do this big work, right? We're in that deliverance place, right? God's getting ready to do that deliverance part of the circle, right? So watch what happens. When Gideon, verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, by the way, that means kind of like, that doesn't mean he said or he replied. It means he shouted, okay? Now, your different translations will say this differently. The, the translation I've given you here says, alas, sovereign Lord. Some of yours will say, oh, my God, okay? And it means it in the most respectful way, okay? He shouted this out. He said, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, now, by the way, if you saw God face to face, if you saw an angel face to face, you're going to die. And he's afraid he's about to die. But watch what happens, okay? I have seen the Lord face to face, verse 23. But the Lord, that's Elohim, okay? The Lord said to him, Shalom, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. God's got a work he wants Gideon to do. And so when he gets real afraid, and he gets scared that he's going he's, he's, you know, he's, he's he's to die, what does God speak over him? Shalom, peace. Peace be unto you. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And so Gideon, that was God's word, right? So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it, Jehovah Shalom. That's where we get that name. And he called it, the Lord is peace. Let me just talk for a minute about what that means. Peace. What is peace? Let me tell you what peace is not. Police is not a truce, okay? Police is not a ceasefire. We're not going to fight anymore, okay? We're not going to fight. That's not what peace is, okay? Because truth of the matter known, be known, you can still have a war going on and be in a ceasefire at the same time. All right? You know that? You know, think, of, think, of, uh, think of the conflict between the United States and the former Soviet Union. Think about the conflict that was going on even in the Cold War and how there was still no peace. You remember how we were afraid even though we were in the middle of the Cold War? And by the way, you can call a ceasefire in your home. You can say, we're not going to fight anymore. I'm so tired of us fighting. We fight all the time. Let's just stop. And you can treat each other with silent treatment. And you can be in a ceasefire, but you don't really have any peace over that home, okay? You understanding me? See, let me tell you first of all what peace is not. Peace is not a truce, because that's all you got then. You just got a truce. You ain't got peace. Peace is more than just a ceasefire and a truce. Peace is a lot bigger than that. 
peace, shalom. Shalom means, it's this, I'll give you a few words, maybe you write them down somewhere. Shalom is wholeness, okay? Shalom is put back togetherness. Shalom is completeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken, whole again, healed, full. That's what peace is. Peace is the thing that was all messed up, the thing that was all torn up, now is all back together again, is solid again. Peace is this holistic understanding of orderliness in your world and in your soul. Okay, That's what peace is. Peace is you being put back together again. And by the way, peace is more than happiness. Did you know that happiness can change based on how much information I give you? I mean, I can change your happiness if I give you some bad information. I'll keep giving you bad information, and I can I, you finally end up like an Eeyore. Oh, oh the sky's going to rain. I mean, I can change your happiness if I give you enough bad information. That's not what peace is, okay? Peace has got, this is what you need to understand. Peace is beyond your circumstance. You might want to write that down somewhere. True shalom has nothing to do with your circumstance. It is beyond your circumstance. That's what shalom is. Let me give you an example. If you were to travel over to Israel right now, just be in the city of Jerusalem, or maybe you'd be up around the, the Galilean area, you'd see these Jewish people, and here's what they say to each other all the time. They meet each other, and they say shalom. What they're saying is peace be with you, shalom. Now, here's the interesting thing about these folks. They say it all day long. They say it to everybody, shalom, 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 shalom. They're saying peace be with you, but they live in a war zone. They live in a place where every day they wake up and there's war all around them. There's terrorism all around them. But every day they go from person to person and they say, Shalom, peace be with you. It's this understanding of there can be peace even when I'm living in a war. There can be peace in my soul. There can be wholeness in me and in my world even when the rest of the world is falling apart. That's what true peace is. True peace doesn't rely on your circumstances. So the world might be falling apart, but you ain't if you've got peace. And if you don't have peace, as the world falls apart, you're falling apart right with it. This is what peace is. Well-being, regardless of your life circumstances, that's what peace is. Well-being, regardless, despite your life circumstances. Jesus said it this way. I want to put John 16, 33 up here. Jesus said these words. In, I have told you this. Remember he promised us this? He said, I have told you this, these things that, so that in me you may have shalom. All right? Watch what he says. In this world, you're going to have trouble. He says, basically, the world's going to start falling apart all around you. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said things are going to get tough, guys. But I'm telling you this now so that my shalom would live and exist in you. And that when the world starts falling apart, and it will, and life will get tough, and, and tribulation moments will come your way, and times are going to get rough, when the world starts falling apart, you will have my shalom. You won't fall apart with the world. You hear what I'm saying, guys? I mean, when you really see a Christ follower who's got shalom, they can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And other people are saying, how are they holding it all together like that? Look at their faith. Listen, I'm telling you, it's beyond their faith. It's shalom. 
It is the peace of Jesus inside of them. Even when their world is falling apart, they are held together because they've got wholeness inside of them. And it's the wholeness that Jesus has brought to them. It's that wholeness. This is what peace is. And so you get that picture of these Jews walking around Jerusalem all the time going, Shalom, Shalom, Shalom. Can I push peace a little bit further? Did you know that peace, peace is your heritage? If you are a saved child of God, peace is your heritage. It's part of the salvific covenant. If you receive Christ by faith, now even the book of Isaiah says peace is supposed to be flowing in you like a river. You're supposed to live in this place of flowing peace and giving peace to others. This is how you're supposed to live. Peace is your heritage. It's what you should be able to claim if you're a child, blood-bought child of the king. It is part of who you are. Now, here's where, the, here's where the rubber meets the road. Isaiah chapter 57, 20 and 21, and I don't have time to read it on the screen here, but Isaiah chapter 57, 20 and 21 says, sin is a barrier to peace. Sin interrupts peace. Sin will take you out of peace. Okay, and that's where we find these Israelites, right? Sin has taken them out of that place of shalom. And sin will do that in your life, and sin will do that in my life. And can I just add this? This is why we are struggling with what's going on right now in America. You can't say to God, hey, we don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our schools, but we still want to be blessed by you. And then think that you're not going to have more problems, more chaos, more drama in your schools. You hear what I'm saying? You can't say to God, think about this, you can't say, well, we don't want our ten command, your Ten Commandments in our court system. We don't even want it on the walls of our courthouse. We don't want that. What you're doing in that very moment is you're inviting more chaos, more drama. You're inviting more problems because the shalom is going to leave the house, right? When you walk away from God, you walk away from shalom. You walk away from His peace that He gives you. So, I mean, you're inviting more problems in our school systems, in our court systems, in our marriages. Whenever you walk away from God, whenever you say, oh, only you this much, God, and we're inviting, this is what, I, listen, let's talk about these people. These people, they love God, right? Oh, I love God. I love, look, they, look what he did for my granddad and my great daddy. He, 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 he rescued us from Egypt. But you know what they had done? They'd adopted all these other gods in their culture. And God said, listen, this is what God's going to do. When you start adopting other, when you start adopting other gods from your culture and you start pulling them all in, Stephen, what's a God? Anything you rely on, anything that you say, this is my sustenance, okay? When you start relying on those other things, you know what God's going to do? He does it every time you can bank on it. Here's what God does. He starts backing away. You want to trust on them things? You want to trust on them things? You go ahead and trust on them things. I'm going to bring you to your knees. Why would God do that? Because God knows this. That when he brings us low, when we're to that rock bottom place where we only rely on him, that's what he wants. He wants us to only rely on him. That's what he wants for America. That's what he wants for your family. That's what he wants for my family. That's what he wants for, from you. He wants you to only rely on him. And if you've picked up all these other gods from the culture, he wants you to lay those things down because you cannot have shalom. I'll say it again. Sin interrupts peace. And these people, they were idolatrous. They were worldly. They picked up all these other gods from the rest of the culture, and they had they turned their back on God. And so in this moment in Judges, guess what? We get this name of God, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. 
He doesn't say the United States government is our peace, does he? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, the, the stock market is your peace, if that's what you've been leaning on, if that's what is your sustenance. He doesn't say, you know, uh, popularity, power is your peace. He doesn't say that. There is only one thing that is peace. The Lord is shalom. The Lord is peace. Are you hearing that? So I want to close. And here's how I want to close. It begs, all this begs the question. Stephen, I get it. I want peace. I want peace. I'm tired of drama. I'm tired of chaos. I'm tired of conflict. I'm tired of turmoil. I just want peace. How do I get it? How do I get it? Isn't that the question of the day? How do I get some peace? And there's one answer. And it's a very simple answer. In the presence of the Lord, there is peace. You want peace? You got to get his presence. You want true shalom? You got to lay down all those other gods. You got to examine your life and look if there's any rebellion in your world. And you got to say, only you. Only Luke, it's you that did all this in the back here, and it's you that's going to do anything before me. Only you. I need your presence in my life. And you need to cry out like those Israelites did in Judges chapter 6. I need you. And it's only the presence of God. You remember what God's going to do, right? God's going to do it. He's going to deliver them. I mean, you know, Gideon's going to go on. He's going to find like 34,000 men. He's going to be ready to attack Midian. And God said, no, 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 no. I don't need 34,000. Give me 300. I need 300. Yeah, don't, don't give me 34,000 that look real good. I need 300 that hearts are fully devoted to me and I can take the world with them. And you remember what happens. He fulfills his word. Every Midianite is killed, slain on the battlefield by 300 that God calls in the battle. Here's what you need to know. God is your sustenance. And the human thing is that as we live our life, we're so prone to start picking up other gods. And relying on other things. It's easy to rely on your bank account or your IRA. It's easy to rely upon your job. It is. God wants you to rely only on Him. He wants to be your only source of sustenance. And here's the cool thing. He says this. He will be your shalom. Hey, can you stop playing for just a minute? You ever been in a concert hall before and heard an orchestra warming up? You ever been there before? Do you ever know? It all, it all sounds like chaos and turmoil. You ever been there before? I, I wanted these guys to play this for you. This is kind of what it sounds like. Let me just kind of take you mentally and kind of in your, your remembrance back to an orchestra hall. Listen to the chaos of a bunch of different instruments warming up. heard that before? We've probably all experienced that before, right? What happens next? A conductor walks right out into the very middle of all that chaos and all that drama and all that turmoil. And he spreads out his hands. And then he begins. And he takes all 
that was there, a chaos, and he makes harmony out of it. He brings unity to it. He begins to conduct everyone together. Guys, this is the, there is a master conductor and his name is Jesus. And when everybody else was freaking out about the circumstances of a storm while the boat was on the water, he's back there sleeping because he knows shalom is not dependent upon his circumstances. And they go to him and they say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we're going to die. And Jesus steps on the edge and he puts his arms out and he says, shalom. Shalom, be still. He calms the waters. He brings that which was in chaos into order. And listen, here's the promise, and i got to close. Here's the promise and the good news. He's still doing that today. He's still doing that today. If your life's been filled with chaos and your life's been filled with drama, every Sunday during this series, I'm going to invite you to come and call on the name of God. You may have never even prayed Jehovah Shalom before the Lord is peace. But today, like I was back in 1992 praying for the first time in a new gateway with God, I began to call on the name of God and ask Him to be my peace. And today I'm not going to invite you just to stay in your seat. If you really want to pray and call on this name, I'm going to ask you to come and cry out. I'm just going to ask you to bow a knee before God right here on this carpeted area at the very front. I just want you to cry out. I want you to pray to the Lord of peace. If there's some things you need to lay down, if there's some rebellion that you've had in your life, confess it before God. Lay it down. Cry out and say, God... I've been in that, that place of sin. I may have even been in that place of punishment. I, may have, I, I, I don't know about where we are with the deliverance yet or the repentance, but I'm here. I'm making sure I'm repenting. I want deliverance. I want peace in my home. I want peace in my work. I want peace in my soul, in my own human heart. This is where I am. And God has been, today while I've been talking, whispering in some of your ears and tapping on some of your shoulders and saying, this is what I want for you. I want to be Jehovah Shalom. I want to be your peace. The next few minutes are open. This is God's altar. If you want to pray, would you come? We'll give you space. We'll give you time. Come on forward. Bow a bended knee. You pray. You call on Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace.